You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. Uh, beautiful uh, full moon last night. Let's hope you were able to catch it. It was a lovely event. And uh, it's not as chilly. Uh, Melbourne, some people are saying it's very chilly, but actually a couple of weeks ago it was so chilly in the morning that uh, it was uh, it left a grimace on your face when you came inside. But uh, no, it's all settling down. And on uh, this Saturday morning, Solidarity Breakfast is going to pursue the readings dispute that was uh, discussed in uh, uh, Stick Together, which we just finished. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, hearing from John Shripton. Uh, John Shripton is the father of Julian Assange and he's been doing a Trojan job going around the world raising uh, awareness of Julian Assange's uh, uh, situation uh, in uh, Belmarsh Prison in uh, England. Uh, and uh, he was at the uh, anti-war no War Hiroshima rally, which was on last Saturday, which was August the 6th, which is the date of the dropping of the bomb uh, on Hiroshima and is now forevermore uh, held as a uh, a date to remember uh, the uh, uh, price of war and the, the price of allowing uh, a very small coterie of... Uh, uh, war-focused warmongers uh, taking control of the uh, the fate of uh, this planet and its people and all other species. Uh, terrible uh, responses uh, from that sort of approach. But anyway, um, we hear from his speech at the rally and then I had a quick word with him afterwards about the... Uh, process and progress of uh, Julian Assange's um, uh, case uh, to the Australian government and also the uh, appeal for uh, uh, against his extradition to the US, the great and mighty. Uh, we hear from uh, Back to Back Theatre, its first feature, Shadow, is uh, was uh, shown at uh, MIF and uh, Back to Back is an extraordinary theatre company which is based in Geelong. Uh, it uh, its uh, uh, actors and uh, are uh, neurodiverse. Uh, 
I suppose, classified as disabled, in inverted commas. They have um, a lot to say about disability. They have a lot to say about uh, issues to deal with uh, in the world. They are an international company and have appeared across the world. Uh, this new feature, Shadow, is uh, an adaption of one of their uh, uh Plays. It's a fascinating film, and I got to speak to one of the actors, uh, Sarah Mainwaring, and the uh, CEO of Back to Back, Tim Stitz, about uh, Shadow. So we'll hear from them. And uh, this is the week that was. We're going to go on to a rather interesting uh, development in the local environment scene. Uh, you would have been aware that uh, Friends of the Forest um, across Victoria uh, have been taking uh, action, court action, legal action against Vic Forests. It began last week. It's one of the tactics to try and save the forests of Victoria. And we're going to talk to Sue McKinnon a, a little bit about what's going on there. She's from King Lake Friends of the Forest. And it may not have reached your register that actually there is a, a group of people called the, uh, uh, what do you call them? Yeah, yeah, it's important. Grassland Plains Network. Now, they are part, the Victorian they are supported by the Victorian National Parks Association and uh, it's just been reported by them and Victoria National Parks Association that uh, there's been a uh, illegal dumping on uh, thousands of tonnes of potentially contaminated fill was dumped on 40 hectares of Traganina grassland in Melbourne's west. Now, you mightn't think much of this. It's illegal, but it wasn't just that. The grasslands is, is a ancient the last remaining old-growth grasslands, uh, one of the supposed protected areas uh, by uh, the Melbourne Strategic Assessment Initiative, which is a federal and state initiative to protect important environmental elements. And uh, as is pointed out by the person I'm going to speak to, Adrian Marshall, uh, this kind of thing is not a set and and uh, forget project, this uh, protection of environment. Uh, so we talk about what it means, what happened and what should happen in order to try and actually protect environmental assets that are so important to our future. Uh, so there you go. That's the program for today. But before we get on with business, uh, some important information. Get your free ticket to the upcoming Forum for Dwelling Justice, an activist-driven event featuring speakers including Senator Lydia Thorpe, Debbie Kilroy, Rouge Amity, Whit Gari, and more. The Forum brings together grassroots activists and campaign groups to strengthen solidarity movements resisting ongoing colonial dispossession, housing injustice, incarceration, and poverty. The forum ends with film screenings and a discussion between Uncle Larry Walsh, the filmmakers, and guests with lived experience of homelessness, displacement, squatting, and public housing. The event will run from 1 to 7 p.m. on Friday, the 26th of August at the Capitol Theatre, 113 Swanson Street, Narn. Entry is by donation. Join us to identify the radical potential for resistance to dispossession and displacement in Narn. 
To register, head to cur.org.au forward slash events or check the 3CR website for details. The Forum for Dwelling Justice is brought to you by RMIT's Centre for Urban Research, a 3CR supporter. This month, Melbourne's beloved art house Cinema Nova turns 30 and is inviting you to celebrate. Revisit Cinema Nova favourites with a curated programme of popular features that Melbourne movie lovers took to their hearts, including Parasite, Call Me By Your Name, Ligon Street, Si Parla Italiano, and more. Tickets on sale now. Cinema Nova, Melbourne's favourite independent cinema since 1992. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR Breakfast on Saturday. And we'll go across the road from that wonderful cinema, Nova, to readings in Ligon Street. Now, there was last Saturday, there was a rally uh, of uh, a um, solidarity rally outside readings. Uh, and as you heard on Stick Together, if you were listening, they've been uh, trying to negotiate for five years with management of readings. Uh, to get a fair deal, a uh, fair wage. And um, they reneged on their 4.6% uh, wage increase. Uh, and uh, so RAFU, the union that represents the retail workers there, has uh, made it public that uh, there has to be uh, greater action and more uh, uh, be- better intention coming from management of readings. Uh, they have to settle this. Uh, Fair Work Commission ha- orders have, uh, they've ordered protected action ballot of the reading workers over the next two weeks. That's uh, stepping up the campaign. Uh, taking it public was the first step uh, last Saturday and uh, now Fair Work Commission, as I said, is ordering a uh, protected action ballot of the readings workers, which is going to happen over the next two weeks. That's RAFU members. They will vote on this action. Apparently, RAFU is now uh, very well uh, uh, represented within the ranks of the retail workers at uh, and warehouse workers, really, at the um, readings. And uh, they've got an, the next solidarity rally is going to be on Friday. That's Friday the 19th at 4.30pm <clears throat> at readings in Carlton at the Ligon Street address. Uh, people were interested to hear a little bit more of what happened at that rally. Uh, I spoke to one of the uh, uh, organize, RAFU organisers. Uh, Michael Johnstone, so I'm an organiser for Victoria Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. So we're outside uh, Readings in Ligon Street and as people have pointed out, uh, Readings sees itself as being you know, a friendly, woke kind of retailer, but yeah. there's a problem, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So they've been training for a long time, like you said, off that reputation for being a progressive employer. Um, but when push comes to shove, like their actions are speaking louder than, than words. So workers have been trying to bargain for an agreement for five years now. 
Um, and every step of the way, the, the company has been fighting and pushing back uh, against that process. Like the, the reason that we're bargaining in the first place is because the workers actually forced them to come to the table. We, you know, we did a petition and they didn't believe it. So we had to go to the commission and do another petition. And that we're, where we were able to force the company to actually come to the table. So uh, originally you did at RAFU, which is your union, uh, did actually negotiate an outcome. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so as, as soon as a couple of months ago, we had uh, an agreement, as far as we know, it was going to be drafted, but we had an in-principle agreement. Um, and a part of that was the wage offer that was presented us to us in April um, was going to be increased by the fair work increase. So we workers made a lot of compromises with what they were prepared to accept, um, and that was on the basis of that wage offer. And they, uh, uh, four point something percent. Four point six percent was what we uh, understood was going to be applied to the the offer that they put to us. And obviously, I expect they didn't expect it to be so high. I expect they it wasn't budgeted for four point six percent. They were probably expecting one percent or two percent. Um, but when that when they came to us, they sort of reneged and said, "Oh well, we don't. We're not going to apply this. Like the the offer, the numbers that we put to you." Uh, and workers were the numbers, um, and that is absolutely outrageous. That is uh, a 4.6% drop in, in the context of the 6.6% inflation, and that's going to keep going up. Um, this is a real wage cut for workers who have made and built at a, a fantastic company, uh, an, an established uh, huge institution uh, in Melbourne for uh, bookshops. So what they're offering is 2% flat rate and a wage freeze for two years. No, no, they're offering whatever the increase is going forwards and no increase applied to the, the readings rates that they put to us, in the, in, since, which haven't changed since last year. So in effect, the, the rates that were proposed uh, and are paid to a lot of workers won't change until July next year, effectively a freeze for two years for a lot of people. Okay. My past is in Woolworths, so I've come from retail, but I'm an organiser for Raffery now full time. Um, but this, this campaign is predominantly read or led by people off the shop floor. We've got delegates who come to every single bargaining meeting. Um, we have regular meetings with members. They're absolutely leading the way. Um, we met with them last Tuesday uh, and sort of talked about what we want to do. And they were pretty disgusted by the company's position and what they've decided to do with their wages. Uh, and that's led to us being forced to take this sort of action today. Now, <coughs> Rafu's had some very good wins in bookshops mm. with uh, Better Red Than Dead. So you've got runs on the board, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So Better Red Than Dead now pay more than, than readings. Um, they give a lot of conditions that readings uh, isn't prepared to budge on. You know, the Better Red Than Dead workers get six months paid parental leave. They get really, really strong, uh, some of the strongest conversion rights from casual to part-time in the industry. Um, and readings has readings workers were prepared to sort of uh, move on those sorts of positions with the context of a really good strong wage offer, which the companies reneged on. So there is like a strong base. Like if readings want to continue trading on being a progressive employer, um, they've got to come to the table and actually change what their offer is at the moment. Well, the thing about it is that Better Red Than Dead, they didn't just fall into it. It no. was a basically a very well-run campaign, mm. great support from you, your, right. the union, and 
the people uh, were saying that they really learned how to work collectively because it was a really big learning curve for them. That's right. I mean, before we came along, there wasn't really organising happening in retail. And so for a lot of workers, this has been, you know, when we get involved and start organising with them, it's the first time they've ever encountered a union that's actually willing to do that for them. And it's an, it's an incredible shift in people's perspectives. You know, no longer do they believe they've just got to put up with the conditions that they've been subject to. They start imagining what they can actually change together and what sort of what they want their workplace to look like and having that power with their co-workers to actually implement those changes in the real world. Because the big deal is that your members lead. That's right. So our, our committee is, is made up of rank and file. We're looking, we've got a delegates conference this year, which is going to direct how the union does things as well. Um, we are led with, like, whenever workers want to get together and organise and deal with things collectively, we're there and back them 110%. And now, before I let you go, because you've got real work to do, um, is, um, it, I mean, I'm, maybe it's underlining this point, but actually it's young people that are, are really highly affected by this. I mean, I know there's lots of different age groups who work in retail, but uh, a lot of these organisations are actually exploiting young people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like to think that we got rid of, uh, like, child labour a long time ago. But really what we did is we instituted it and made it legal and let the employers get away with paying people like up to half what a regular worker, an adult worker over 21 would be getting paid for doing the same work. Um, no one who works in retail would deny that uh, a 16 or 17 year old or 15 year old are working, aren't working just as hard. Um, and we've been able to change that. So better read than dead, they've got a really clear pathway where people get off junior rates. And even at readings, like in the in our in principle agreement, there is pathways for people to get off junior rates, um, and we want to keep we want to keep spreading that across the industry. Like we want to get rid of junior rates entirely because it's absolutely disgusting, um, and entirely just protecting the profits of these giant corporations. And just as a matter of interest, I know with better read than dead, people were being expected to do uh, reviews and podcasts and high skill work. Um, is that the same here? Yeah, so they have, uh, they do have like the readings monthly and they do have volunteer reviews from workers to do that. It's been a tricky sort of thing to deal with. At Better Red Than Dead, they, they sort of massively changed how they do that. And yeah, it is, it is a, a thing across the industry where like there is all sorts of free labour being expected in all sorts of different ways, you know. Um, reviews at bookshops, people staying back in Delhi to clean um, because they're not rostering properly. Like it takes all different shapes um, and it's really, because workers, employers have gotten used, so used for so long, having a, all the power um, and we're looking to sort of change all that. Thanks very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. Talking to us next today is, is Claire Miller, who's a delegate off the shop floor. Um, fantastic delegate, been to pretty much every single one of our bargaining meetings with the company. And has been pivotal in leading the campaign as well. Um, hi everyone, thanks for coming out for support. Um, as you just heard, my name is Claire. Um, I've been working for Reading since 2018. 
Uh, I started on the shop floor over in the Hawthorne store. Um, and now these days I work over in the warehouse in the web team. So I like answer all your emails and get all your things organized to go dispatch. Um, I love working at readings. Like it's, it's a great place. Um, I think book selling is incredible. It's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I was <laughs> like many people here. I think I was the bookworm. I always wanted to work with books and, um, you know, readings was the dream. Um, and, you know, I've got here, um, I love it, I've made amazing friends, um, and I think uh, working together, you know, we all, we all want to take care of each other, um, which is why we want to reach uh, a fair agreement, um, and we're hoping that that's going to happen pretty soon, um, particularly with all the support from you guys. Uh, I feel like I don't have a whole lot to say because, uh, as Chris was saying, um, I am a current worker, so there are lots of things I can't say. Um, but <laughs> once again, I'm just uh, so astounded that all of you have come. It's incredible. Thank you.
with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR's Breakfast on Saturday. And uh, we're moving on to John Shipton. John Shipton was at the uh, peace rally, the No War Hiroshima rally that was held outside the State Library on Saturday, August the 6th. And uh, he was there to add his uh, voice to the no war, but also to bring up the issues that were uh, exposed by WikiLeaks and its founder, Julian Assange, who is now languishing in the high security prison uh, in England. Be uh, perhaps about to be extradited to the US, uh, and as is pointed out, the only person who is in jail for war crimes uh, exposed by WikiLeaks is Julian Assange. So uh, here's John Shripton. His this is his speech that he he gave at the event, but also a few quick words afterwards about the progress of uh, raising Julian Assange's. Uh, a story in amongst the uh, power brokers in Australia. John is the dad to journalist, US war crimes exposer, and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. I, like probably many of you, watched ABC TV, the TV series on John, and I must say it brought a lump to my throat. John displayed enormous dignity and compassion in balancing the role of a father, a father-in-law, a granddad, with the fight to free Julian Assange. I'd ask you to put your hands together for John Shipton. Thank you. Um, thank you, every, thank you, everybody. Uh, where to start in this thing. The military, the monetary, the cemetery. The cemetery, the military, the monetary. The monetary, the military, the cemetery. If you want to know what the inside of a wall looks like, there are 400,000 cables in the Iraq war files. Two of them, or three of them, one describes the destruction of 26 of the 28 water purification plants in Iraq, meaning that mothers couldn't give their children a drink of water without fear of dysentery, meaning that the child would shit itself to death. Equally, it reveals the use of depleted uranium. Depleted uranium explodes into a, into a fine powder carried on the desert winds into the, food, into the food chain, meaning that mothers ingest depleted uranium and give birth to children that you have to love, if you know what I mean. One of the cables, which I'll illustrate, describes the circumstances in 2008 of a group of American soldiers 
going into a house outside Baghdad and murdering all of the occupants, the mum and the dad, the uncles, aunties, the little children, the boys and the girls, the grandparents. This cable was revealed on WikiLeaks by Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning. The people of Iraq read the cable and rose up as one and their parliamentarians as a consequence of reading that cable even though their society was destroyed insisted to the United States that they would not sign the status of forces agreement which meant that all of the Allied troops had to be re removed from Iraq, which they were. This is important to remember, that a revelation, a leak, brought about the beginnings of peace in Iraq. An extraordinary thing. So please keep that in mind. Within this, within all of the complaints we make, and the observations that caused our hearts to bleed, there was a great success and it brought about the beginnings of peace in Iraq. Really important to remember. There are 250,000 cables. Each and every one of them bring benefits and understanding of how the United States and its allies maintained their empire who was suborned, who took the bribes, who refused, and who was murdered. Now keep in mind that these are all still housed on WikiLeaks, and you can look up these events and these personalities at your leisure and form your own analysis of what the United States and its allies do in order to preserve their empire and expand their empire. Lastly, I'd like to acknowledge, alongside Julian, another two great journalists. John Pilger, who's still with us, still producing, and Wilfred Burchett, who documented what we celebrate today. Thank you very much for Have you had any uh, success yet? Uh, I know there was a convergence in uh, Canberra uh, the other week. Uh, are there any signs that uh, there's some movement in the Australian government for Julian? Uh, no, we haven't. Um, in the parliament, the, the parliamentary group Friends of Assange has increased its representation to 41 from 29, which is substantial. 88% of the Australian populace, according to the last poll, support the return of Julian to Australia. Seven uh, of the Teals were elected to can, elected to Parliament with part of their platform return of Julian Assange. Similarly with the Greens, the Prime Minister uh, as leader of the opposition made noises to uh, attract the Assange vote which 
successfully got him to be Prime Minister. However, since then, we find that the, the government is starting to resile on its implied assertions. Okay, so uh, the strategy is just to continue pushing, right? Yes, uh, I mean, the strategy, the tactics now are to form power blocks and then apply pressure uh, to uh, the government members in one way or another, um, usually through protest, through uh, letter writing, through further films that we're making, so all of those avenues, uh, also through uh, parliamentary actions. Uh, I, I expect there will be, uh, over the next three years, uh, by-elections as members retire or become too ill to carry on, and this we consider an opportunity to uh, further the interests of returning Julian to Australia. Yeah. At the moment, uh, there's an appeal, isn't there? Yes, there's an appeal for an appeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Julian, the defence is seeking permission to appeal from the High Court. Uh, the United States has eight weeks to submit counter-arguments and then the High Court makes a decision as to whether an appeal can go ahead. If the appeal goes ahead, it's very substantial because it, it appeals against all of the major issues that were in the original judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thanks for talking to me. Hi, I'm Ruby from Fitzroy Primary and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. And you're with Annie on 3CR Breakfast, Saturday Solidarity Breakfast. And uh, we'll move straight along to uh, my chat with uh, uh, Sarah Mainwaring and Tim Stintz. Tim, Tim is the CEO of Back to Back Theatre and Sarah Mainwaring is a actor member of Back to Back. Uh, she's featured in their very first feature. They've uh, got to world-breaking uh, theatrical pieces that have uh, been going around the world. But uh, now they've entered into the feature filmmaking and uh, their film Shadow, which is an adaptation of one of their plays, is being shown at MIF. But uh, it's an extraordinary company out of Geelong and uh, and they just punch above their weight. Thanks for taking some time to talk to me. Uh, it's a great film. It took two and a half years to put this together, and I know that Back to Back has been uh, doing has done a short film uh, before this. So obviously, working from the script of the play and taking it to a feature film must have uh, been a big enterprise. Can you tell me about that? Um. Uh, it was. It was uh, also uh, very exciting um, going from 
yeah, the stage into film because um because of the amount of um changes um and people and people yeah yeah it was um we went um do you want me to talk a little bit about yeah, it so please. we um please. we we had some money that we got from the Department of Social Services to actually do some more work on the short that you're you're talking of, Oddlands, mm. uh, that mm. we made with Matchbox Pictures. And for whatever a few reasons, we didn't do that. And then the pandemic struck. And so we spent 2020 adapting over Zoom. So Bruce Gladwin, our artistic director and the director of the Shadow mm. Film, with yeah. Sarah and Scott and Simon yeah. and other mm. collaborators, worked on adapting the feature film idea from the original play. And that went from a five-hander to I think there was at least over 25 actors in the film version. And it was realised in between lockdowns and really coming out of when the Ring of Steel lifted at the end of 2020. So we went from having nobody in our studio to having I think over 60 people on site you know, in the pandemic, it was very strange and weird. Um, but we shot it, the the main location was our studio and we used the whole courthouse building, which is our home in Jilang, in Geelong, in, on the Wadawan country. And um, then we also used some exterior um, places nearby. Like, yeah. do, do you remember where we used it? Um, Just um, over Geelong yeah, Art Centre. The Art Centre. Yeah. And um, the library, library, yeah. and, um, some of the foyer spaces in Job yes, Art Centre. Because yeah. the, the, the piece is mm. about a meeting. So there's, we, yes. we use sort of mm-hmm. those exterior uh, meeting locations like a foyer or there's a balcony. Mm. The film ends on a beautiful scene with Scott and Sarah. Yeah. Looking over the, the waterfront in Geelong. So it's, it's yeah. a, you know, mm. part, partly a love letter to Geelong. It's quite profound. The uh, and I know that the fil- uh, the plays that back to back has been doing. I mean, I find them absolutely fascinating. All the things that you want to talk about uh, from the point of view of disability people with you know who live as disabled people, but it's a, you're reflecting back on so-called able-bodied people. Uh, demanding uh, explanation for their lack of understanding that disabled people are have the same rights, et cetera, et cetera. And it brings it all the way around to discussing um, artificial intelligence. I love the discussion about artificial intelligence because I've got the same idea, you know, it's a trope. It's either a love a love affair or a threat mm. but yeah. but you turn it on on its head there must have been a lot of discussion around this Sarah mm. there was and it's interesting 
the way that it is a circle and the way that, yeah, it does come in a full circle and, yeah, um, ends up um like you say um yeah which is really interesting i find yeah it's like um yeah i mean before i joined the company i would say the same it's um the, yeah. the back-to-back works yeah. often pose more questions than they answer, they and are. and there it's yeah. it's a it's pretty non-linear. I mean, there is yeah. a linear story and framework, particularly with the film. But yeah. it, as Sarah says, it's circles and it's non-linear, and yeah. threads that are brought and raised at the start of the film come yeah. back at the end. Yeah. Um, I also think what's interesting about the film is that. Um, more so than other back-to-back works, it really contends with mm. disability and representation yeah. um, very squarely because a lot of the the other work of the company really isn't, I mean, it's partly there for sure, but it's it's about other concerns and wider societal, economic, yeah. global concerns mm. or, or mm. questions or a story. And it, it came from a very internal space, yeah. didn't it, those questions? That's right, mm. yeah. There was like a rehearsal room discussion around mm. that one of our marketing team had said, well, how do you want to be uh, represented? Yeah. Yeah. So some of the improvisations for mm. the work that became yeah. The Shadow Who's Prey the Hunter Becomes and the film Shadow yeah. came from those in-house marketing yeah. company discussions mm. around representation yeah. And particularly with people who are perceived to have intellectual disabilities yeah. or identify as neurodiverse. Mm or don't identify as either of those yeah. things, mm. um, but maybe perceived by um, non-disabled people to 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 be that way. So it's it's, it's quite challenging. I mean, I, I found yeah. it challenging in all yeah. the kind of good ways and mm. difficult at times. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Sarah, yeah. you have some very dramatic pieces, uh, points in the film where you're, you are posing quite dramatic statements about you as a woman and mm. you as a person to the others um, who are stepping over a line. Can you tell mm. us about that? Um, um, How did you feel doing that role? You do uh, it magnificently. Yeah, yeah. I've I felt really, well, really strong because I knew, um, I knew the, um, I knew, um, they would be, you know, supporting me and 
I knew where how to um or yeah how to um state your case mm. yeah be heard be heard yes. yeah Christ how do you, Sarah's, how do you go yeah. being, I mean, up until this point, Brown is part of the ensemble, mm. but at this time, yeah. you were the only female, female. or non-binary or female yeah. identifying ensemble member. Yeah. And whilst I'm sure others are pretty supportive yeah. and kind of feminists, yeah. I don't want to speak for, for anyone else, sure. but, um, yeah. but how do you go, like, representing being a woman? woman. And, you know, the film dramatically you know, challenges you or belittles women yeah. sometimes. How do yeah. you feel about having that standing strength and standing up to it? Women. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Um, I feel I can put my chest out. Listeners, she's putting her chest out. And Standing um, tall, sitting tall. And, um... Um, um, as much as, um, um, I, um, may not, may or may not know you know yeah. where to go from there but I think it's it's fair to I say I can you know yeah yeah you find I mean it's fair to say Annie as you've you've seen in the mm. film and I see Sarah at work um finding her power and her strength both dramatically as an actor but then also in the room to assert your point of view and um yeah, I, I think the film intentionally does exactly what you've identified, Annie, yeah. like in terms of, yeah, Sarah's there to to really say, hey, this is not okay. So there's quite a lot of comments on gender in the film, as well as sort of other intersectional um, mm. representations, particularly around disabled and non-disabled people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, there's very strong characters. Um, so uh, Simon... And Scott, like Scott, uh, has got a very strong character, and it it's uh, there's lots of differentiation between all of you, so it's it yeah. gives the film a, a yeah. very strong uh, character. Uh, it just poses so many questions, but also uh, because it's a film, and you're so successful at doing theatre, but then now you've been very successful at uh, making it into a film. I saw in the notes that, and it's true when you watch it, that you use a documentary fly on the wall type of approach as well as dramatic uh, scenes. Um, with with film, you make comment about film too. I love the beginning bit where the man is constantly repeating himself to camera 
you learned a whole lot of stuff about how film is so unlike uh, theatre. That's correct, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. How do you find that difference between um, having a camera in your face as opposed to having an audience 10 metres away? Yeah. What's the difference for you? Um, I, um, I'm getting more used to it now. Mm. Um, yeah, um, yeah, um, I'm getting more used to it mm. now. I think we all are yeah. at the company. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're not professing mm. to be um, experienced screen mm. content makers or filmmakers or TV or uh, mm. anything. I, I, we're enjoying being in this learning space and, and discovering how how to do it. But, I mean, mm. what I love as a, an audience member watching this film as distinct from, I mean, I think I still have a sentimental connection to the, the stage play because I, I love what that did and what it does. And the film emulates that in a way, absolutely. But I love in the film that you can really get up close and personal with like Sarah's face, her expressions. Yeah. Like it's so, mm-hmm. what cinema does so beautifully, like on a, on a cinema screen as well with cinema sound is you can see your mm-hmm. face, your the sound yeah. of your voice mm-hmm. so intimately, um, which in a theatre, of yeah. course, is different. I mean, Sarah is such an experienced yeah. theatre performer. Yeah. You're used to projecting mm-hmm. and using your yeah. whole physicality and body yeah. uh, in so many quite well-known, yeah. you know, pieces now, That's like Food Court, right. in yeah. Shadow Praise the Hunter Becomes, yeah. um, Lady Eats Apple, yeah. many pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what's also interesting about, this film, Annie, as I'm sure you, you read about, is that it's we had an internship program alongside it, mm-hmm. um, which because we had this money from the Department of Social Services, um, this big, wonderful grant, it allowed us to make the film in a way that we brought on industry professionals to mentor us, but also mentor interns. So we put a big call out and we had 10 interns who were behind the camera and 25 interns who were in front of the camera mm-hmm. as um, extras who had one line or some people had more than one line. We had some guest artists that we'd worked with before, like um, Brian Lipston, who was in a few of our works, yeah. and Melinda McClory did the, the voicing of the AI. And um, we just, that was partly because we ourselves are new in film and screen, but we're also very aware of the, pathways for people who live with a disability who want to be involved in filmmaking or screen production or would like to also perform and want to perform in screen as opposed to stage because there 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 are differences and someone might say oh I want to be a screen actor I I don't mind theatre but it's not my favourite I prefer to do a film or television yeah you're listening to 855 AM a weak solidarity bricky team listener when, for once, caring business class party supremo and would-be big supremo constable Peter Duffer praised the Socialist Party for its train-killer war talk over evil China. I couldn't have, you know, like, said it better myself. 
and for once we in turn would have to agree because Minister for Being Offensive and Train Killing Richard Maul's the bad guys and Minister for Going Overseas all the time and being a perfectly good little prefect penny left wing are saying exactly what he said, echoing the war is peace talk from our marionette master in Washington, whipped up even more by evil China laying claim to evil China. Practicing its perennial war is peace agenda, Good Good Zion yet again launched a murderous attack on the Palestinian non-country non-people, which it said was reacting to terrorism, of which there can be no doubt, because our media described the non-country non-people of Gaza as terrorists. This time telling us, although the non-people had not fired anything in anger, Zion knew it was thinking of, would like to fire something in anger. Wicked terrorists. We have to stop them thinking. They are always thinking bad things about good liberty, freedom and democracy, love and Zion. So we are always justified in slaughtering these non-people, non-country terrorists. But then good, good Zion announced it had not killed innocents. But the Gaza non-country, non-people terrorists had killed themselves. The biggest washing of the hands in that part of the world since Pontius Pilate. And then Zion moved on the non-country, non-people on the West Bank, destroying a few homes and killing a few more non-people who made the big, big mistake of being on the street going to work when the Zion train killers decided it was time to open fire on them because they were probably thinking bad thoughts about the Zion train killers, in fact. And in any way, as our media and Zion affirm, the mere fact that they are non-country, non-people means they are terrorists anyway and fair game. And there's nothing remotely terrorist about bombs and patrolling train killers controlling your lives, taking more of your land, checkpoints determining where you can and can't go, mostly can't go, bulldozing your home, stealing your water, destroying your crops. No, no, the bombed, the killed, the injured, the controlled, the homeless, the landless are definitely the terrorists. And even better news, our very own RMIT right here in Melbourne has signed up to research with Zion's biggest merchant of death, which produces all that war is peace merchandise which protects Zion from the non-country, non-people terrorists. Top marks to RMIT. On that, this inquiry into why our very own true blue trained killers are killing themselves rather than, surprise, surprise, gullible young cannon fodder who just love the merchandise of death and its capacity to slaughter and destroy, join up, head off to wherever the US of the UN of the US of the world orders us to head off to slaughter the local threats, Afghan terrorists intent on invading true blue Iraqis brimming with weapons of mass destruction, intent on invading True Blue Aussie. Evil Vietnamese communists, intent on invading True Blue Aussie, etc., etc. And then find the corollary to the fun, fun, fun of killing. Kill and be killed. They forget the be killed bit of that until it's not, you know, like fair. They're, they're like, you know, firing back. Meanwhile, the new warm, cuddly Constable Duffer warned us the socialist changes to caring business class relations would make a bad situation worse. Like, you know, warned us the socialist Accord Mark II summit will make a bad situation worse. 
like, you know, a, a stunt, warned us the socialist climate change, if there is such a thing, 43% policy would make a bad situation worse. Like, you know, warned us the socialist proposal for an indigenous voice would make a bad situation worse. Like, you know which is in fact very encouraging, because given the parlous state of the caring business class party, every time Pete opens his mouth, he makes a bad situation worse. Keep the new warm, cuddly stuff going, Pete. Sadly, Pete's spot on, because it's obvious the evil unions are intent on making a bad situation worse. For instance, they want the sensible right of caring employers to axe agreements and slash wages and conditions during bargaining, an essential weapon caring employers would not need but for the insatiable greed of workers egged on by evil union bosses. Interesting that, caring business class boss, good, good caring boss, union boss, always a pejorative, bad, bad boss. Imagine the even greater difficulties good tugboat caring employer switch it a slave rates would be in if it couldn't axe and slash its ingrate workers' wages and conditions. God, it might be forced to bargain in good faith. And it's not like caring employers enjoy slashing workers' wages and conditions. Imagine the pain the switch you to slave rates board members in Copenhagen must be suffering at the ingratitude of workers on the other side of the globe for whom they are generous enough to provide work and declining wages and conditions. As that great defender of working class interests, Trubler was the industry profits group Supremo Innes will cost the workers explained so sensibly, exceptional circumstances existed in every case where caring employers were forced to slash the wages and conditions of the workers they so care about. Uh, exceptional Innes. Absolutely, in, in every case, workers want things. To compound the threat, to highlight the danger, to show how the socialist government is no more than a captive of the evil unions, the caring business class relations minister, Tony Bark Worstan, said the government was concerned that caring employers could threaten workers' pay and conditions at a wait for it, at a conference organised by Innes's True Blue Aussie Industry Profits Group. Talk about discourtesy. Talk about kicking your host in the teeth. And Innes also defended another important weapon, the bloody evil unions want disarmed. You're not going to believe this, listener, but unions are demanding that labour hire workers receive the same pay as full-time workers doing the same job. With poor Innes forced to point out yet again, direct quote, no embellishment, requiring labour hire companies to provide the same rates and conditions to their employees as their clients provide to their own employees would create many major complications and potential adverse consequences for business. Mmm, sounds serious in us. Like, like what complications, what adverse consequences? Like I said before, workers want things. Our members may be forced to pay them. Let's hope Accord Mark II listens to Innes' wise words and ignores the economy-destroying demands of the untrublewazzy evil unions. Sadly, the signs are not good. The most disturbing sign, a dire warning under a huge Lord Rupert of Wapping said headline, Unions back in charge.
Unions are taking advantage of the Socialist Party's federal election win and will use the government's coming job summit to have their demands rubber-stamped at the expense of employers. God, it's a worry, isn't it? As it turned out, although the headline was not in quotes, they were quoting no less an authority on these matters than the caring business class shadowy minister for caring business class relations, Michaela Cost the Workers. The story accompanied by a huge picture of evil CFMEU Secretary John Setka, which just happened to be there, no comment required, yet another example of Lord Rupert of Wapping's balance and objectivity. Poor distressed Michaela was supported by a feature article from Stephen Walters, real name, writing in the worker-friendly Troublawazi Capitalist Review, chief economist at the Troublawazi Business Profits Council, who said huge obscene profits being announced by caring employers should not be blamed for low wages something we know caring employers are so concerned about. He had a litany of reasons, but again, it came down to that perennial problem, productivity. Workers simply aren't working hard enough. It's their own fault. The naive like us, well, certainly me, I won't speak for you, listener, might ask, then, where are these huge obscene profits coming from? But that just shows my and possibly our ignorance. Unlike our assistant big economic guru, Andrew Liebert, to caring employers, who announced he wanted to work with caring business to develop a fairer tax system. That's like asking the fox to develop a security system for the henhouse. Anyway, given figures this week showed most of the filthy rich and mega corporations pay no tax whatever, we can be sure they'll tell him they can't think of a fairer system. Uh, well, there's always scope for a bit more corporate welfare from the taxes they don't pay. For the not-so-filthy-rich crowdsourcing platform GoFundMe announced a 183% annual increase, real figure, in appeals for rent relief, rent relocation, food, medicine and other luxuries. But be prepared to shed a tear, listener. The latest figures show the average income in Turak crashed by 8% to just under $200,000. While in lucky, lucky sunshine, the average income rose to a massive 48000 Apart from the little 150 grand difference, we can take solace in that the sunshine figure would be less the tax they can't avoid, while the 200 grand would be plus the tax they do avoid. So that makes it a little better for the poor Turakites doing it so hard. Followed our item last week about financial behemoth KP on the planet MG saying the planet can't afford not to extract and burn as much oil, coal and gas as possible, this week it showed symptoms of schizophrenia, saying indigenous voices should be included in international standards for sustainability. That way we'll feel better about destroying their lands and history while respecting the sustainability of capital. And that Troublawazi icon we all love, BHP, for bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, has sought approval for a new Queensland coal mine that would operate for 90 years. Even a mathematical idiot would work out that that's a little in excess of zero emissions by 2050 target. But, of course, bloody huge knows zero emissions does not mean zero emissions. Plant a few trees and the planet will be saved. 
back on the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin, and we could easily have missed it, but Olivia Newton-John died this week, and nothing against her. But in a multi-page wraparound, the Wapping Sin had this giant headline, Devoted to Melbourne. Uh, yeah, but, but she was born in Her Most Gracious Majesty's home country and died in her US of ranch where she had been living for years. But, but who are we to question the whopping sin? Finally, over in the US of, while we are critical of its gun mania, sometimes there's no other choice. Like 20-year-old Michael Morgan, who defended his dear old mum by shooting a 23-year-old McDonald's salt, sugar and fat worker in Brooklyn who served her what she claimed were cold fries. Cold fries, a capital offence. Yet the poor boy's been charged with attempted murder just for defending his dear old mum. Notice another salt, sugar and fat mobber advertising Friday night special while we watch the footy. Free delivery, Friday, fried night footy feast. What clever marketing with pickies of loads and loads of deep fried rubbish. And I reckon regular Friday night gourmets will miss the finals because they'll be in intensive care on life support in the cardiac ward. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, you're back with Annie on uh, Saturday Breakfast on 3CR. And uh, we've got Sue McKinnon on the line. Sue is from King Lake Friends of the Forest. And you've been in court this week, haven't you? I have, Annie, yes. Um, we've been defending uh, our injunction that we won earlier, well, late last year, um, in our court case. We call it the Glider case. Yeah, this is to protect the greater gliders. It's it's about restraining big forests from logging coops where there are greater gliders within 240 metres. What, what, how incredibly uh, outrageous of you to want to defend mm-hmm. our heritage. Yes, so the greater glider uh, is vulnerable in Victoria. It's, it's listed as threatened. Um, and only recently it was uplisted to endangered status in, um, on, in um, federal government, the Commonwealth government. Um, and we started a case last year uh, asking or demanding that Vic Forest look for greater gliders before they log, so look before you log. And also, if you find a greater glider, to... Um, protect it with a 240-metre buffer around it. So that's 18 hectares hectares around the glider sighting. Um, gliders don't move from their home range, so if their home range is destroyed, they're most likely to die from starvation or predation. Uh, so that's why we need this uh, buffer where they're actually detected. Uh, the judge listened to our case and um, placed an injunction that prohibited Big Frost from logging um, anywhere where a greater glider had been detected. Um, so in, in the whole coop, if a greater glider had been detected in the coop, which is an area of forest, of our state forest, that uh, Vic Forest have declared a coop. Um, if a glider is detected in that area or within 240 metres of that area, they can't log that area. And we call those the greater glider coops. And um, from um, December right through to now, uh, those greater glider coops have been protected and not been logged and that saved thousands of greater gliders and thousands of hectares of, of their habitat. Just uh, last week, though, Big Forest uh, approached the uh, court and says, 
uh, told the court that they want that injunction uh, removed for five coops. Right. Okay, and uh, this is at the same time. This kind of legal action that you're taking takes on a, a, a very important aspect because the Victorian government's just recently passed legislation criminalising environmental protests by introducing sanctions of up to 12 months jail time or $21,000 in fines. So that that was passed. So the intention is to quell uh, environmental defenders fighting against native forest logging in our state. Uh, so taking this legal action is very important um, uh, form of resistance. Yes. So the protest, these draconian protester laws are very far-reaching. They're not just targeted at people with banners that might be standing um, in locking coops and just drawing attention to um, to the destruction of, of, of state forest, Victorian state forest. Um, and they're not just directed at people that might be erecting even tree sits in those areas that draw public attention, draw media attention. Um, so they don't, obviously they don't want the, gov- the public to know that they're logging state forest and destroying it. But also it stops anyone going into these zones that they put around coops before they log them. Um, they're called timber harvesting safety zones. And those zones cover the entire area of the area they're going to log plus a buffer. They can put those zones in any time before they log and they can keep them there any time after they log. Some of them have been there for four years before logging. Oh, my goodness. So, one, yeah, so once those zone, that zone is there, we can't go in there and survey for greater gliders, for lead beta possum, uh, for any breaches that they might be making in their road construction, for any uh, uh, debris tumbling down the down slopes and hitting the roads, we can't do any scrutiny. Um, so effectively, we could not have run this case, if or the previous case that we had around screening um, roads and tracks, we could not have run those cases if these laws had been in place. Um, it, it's just far too drastic a penalty to risk going into a timber harvesting safety zone once these laws are in place. I mean, I know they've been passed, but once they're in place... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, public scrutiny of logging and public scrutiny and, and checking for where threatened species are before they log will just not be possible. Yeah, if people want a, a, an expanded understanding of this particular a law, go to Thursday Breakfast 8.15 report that last week. Uh, they talked to uh, Chris Sharinga about the actual case itself, the legislation. The, um, the issue of Vic Forest as being a, a run-by government but actually uh, supporting private industries raping of our public forest resources has come again and again by reports done by Friends of the Forests into the handling of our natural resources. That, yes. That's true. Yes, so um, most of the wood that's 
well, most of the forest that's cut down, of course, is left on the ground. Um, they call that rubbish. But but 85% of what is removed from the forest is is uh, used for paper and pulp and cardboard um, in the Nippon Paper Industry, Nippon Paper Inc. Um, pulp mill um, in in Maryville in the, uh, Marysville, sorry in Maryvale in the Latrobe Valley. Um, so most of it becomes paper. Uh, there's also quite a lot that becomes cheap pellets, and we've even we have evidence. Um, evidence was produced in in the case that those pellets, the, the manufacturer of those pellets, said that they would not be able to make these pellets if they had to pay per commercial price for the wood they use. So basically all the, the pellet manufacturer, um, the, all the supermarkets that use the pellets are being subsidised by the government destroying our forest um, and has been for years. So the whole plantation um, industry has uh, had this unfair competition from uh, the government destroying native forest, state forest, and just could not build up. I mean, and we've got a, a massive... Um, pulp log plantation um, industry um, that's been able to export wood chips because they're not competing with the Victorian government cutting down the state forest. Um, but we don't have a good saw log plantation industry because the government subsidised the saw logs for years. Oh, it's just crazy. Um, the... Uh Case itself is is in its early days. Uh, legal cases are notoriously long winded. Is that the nature of this particular case, or is it moving ahead? No, the case has actually been heard. Ah, um, right. Okay. This is very. It's very unusual to have a challenge to the injunction after the hearing of the trial. The trial's been heard. Yeah. Uh, it was heard uh, June, July, June. Yep. Um, and we're just awaiting decision. We hope to have a decision soon, but. No one knows when judges hand down their decisions. Right, and so the injunction is in place until then? Yes, except for these, well, three out of the five coops that um, Vic Forest applied for exceptions. um, They've now been released to Vic Forest, so Vic Forest can now log these precious greater glider. um, (laughs) I'm very reluctant to call them coops. They're precious. Greater Glider Forest Stands, that big forest of named coops. Um, they're in the Black Range. They're in the north of the Black Range, um, which is actually a, wild, a wildlife rest, uh, refuge. Um, the north of the Black Range, which is near Taggarty, um, didn't burn with high severity during the 2009 fires, unlike the south of the Black Range and the west of the Black Range. So there was this patch um, that only burnt with lower severity and has continued to have greater gliders in it that survived. Oh, so they want to knock it down now that it didn't burn? Yes, yes, yes. Three of these forest <laughs> dams that they want to, yeah, that they've got exceptions for are um, in that area. And, um, um, so so was, far, you know, we, far, far uh, sighted of them? Yes, yes. Yeah, devastating. It's, um, oh, look, any area, any time you see a greater glider and you know they're coming, there's the, the loggers are coming. It's devastating. Um, you know, up until this case, up until this injunction, we've just detected greater gliders and then 
watched thick forests cut down a tree that we detected them in. It has been awful. At least for the last, you know, year, uh, eight months, we've been able to detect crater gliders and know that we've saved that area for that glider at, until this, you know, exception came. Um, so, you know, now we're just sort of faced with knowing that there's greater gliders there and they're just, you know, uh, the ones that haven't been seen are just going to go... Uh, Sue, what would you like listeners to do? Is there anything that they can do to be contribute to a positive outcome? Oh, look, write to your um, MPs. I, I, I know it sounds, um, you know, ho-hum, it's the same, same. Write to your MPs. Um, get in touch with the local forest campaign group, such as ourselves, Watch, um, Warburton Environment, uh, Rubicon Forest Protection Group. There's lots of groups. Um and, um, you know, listen out for when there's pro- there's often protests on the steps of Parliament. Um, come and join us. Um, come out to the forest. You know, we have spotlight nights. Um, if you go onto King Lake Friends of the Forest webpage, um, we advertise our spotlight nights and, um, and you can come and see an endangered animal just, you know, a, an hour or an hour and a half from, from Melbourne and um, it's in the wild and it's pretty exciting so we know where they are and because they don't move from their home range we're pretty sure that we can take people to to see them pretty exciting night actually thanks for talking to us this morning sue (laughs) thanks annie Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. Serrated tussock is a noxious weed that has impacted our farmlands and environment across Victoria. Similar in appearance to many native tussock grasses, serrated tussock may go unnoticed in both pastures and native grasslands for many years. Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party has assisted hundreds of landholders to control this noxious weed and they can assist you by offering a wide range of information and management options for controlling this weed of national significance. Visit serratedtussock.com for more information. 3CR Community Radio, giving voice to the community since 1976. And you're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR Saturday Breakfast. And uh, continuing with this discussion about uh, our local environment, uh, environmental assets that are needing to be protected, we've got Adrian Marshall on the line. Uh, G'day, Adrian. How are you? I'm well, Annie. How are you? Good, and you're from the Grass Plains Network, which is uh, uh, fascinating. I didn't even know you existed. Uh, well, we've been around for about five years now. We, um, the Grassy Plains Network is a uh, 
collection of academics, ecologists, community members, land managers who are concerned about the decline of our native grasslands, especially in and around Melbourne. Because we don't have many of our native grasslands left, just uh, perhaps 1%. And Melbourne is actually uh, a hot spot for for them. And, uh, the land bankers have done us a little bit of a, um, uh, a good... A good turn that way. In fact, uh, just to uh, underline the importance of grasslands, Australia's uh, recently uh, found, been found to have the um, uh, largest amount of uh, lost species, and uh, these are mainly found uh, in grasslands. Yes, that's right. I, I, I was. Um uh, an article came out just the the other month saying that 26 out of 30 of our mammal extinctions uh, were either partially or wholly dependent on grassland. So things like bilbies and betongs and um, bandicoots, all, all the bee ones, um, potteroos, um, some wallabies, and that's not counting um, all the reptiles and insects and so on that are probably and frogs. the way of all things too. And frogs, of course, yes. Yeah, yeah, all the the, the uh, indicators of the health of our environment. In fact, uh, you, uh, Victoria National Parks Association and Grassy Plains Network, alerted us to the fact that uh, uh, Victoria's last remaining old growth grasslands uh, are actually uh, being destroyed following illegal dumping. Uh, oh, tell us about this. Yes, that's right. It's, um, it's a very um, tragic event. It's just uh, sometime about last Christmas, but nobody noticed it until April. Um, uh, there were there are 36 conservation areas designated across Melbourne as part of a deal between the state and federal governments um, to when they um, released land for urban growth. They said, "All right." protect these 36 ones, and one of those 36 has just recently been uh, covered with, with fill, so from from some building, massive amounts of it, um, from from some building works. And um, it's, a, it's a terrible thing because it was supposed to be protected. The, uh, it's 40 hectares, so it's quite large. It's, it was really high quality, so it's, we might only have 1% of our grasslands left, but this was like in the top 1% of those 1%. So it was like a, a really good patch of it. Um, really, really rare. Very, very critically endangered, if you can have such a thing. Um, and Well, as yeah, you say, people... truly ancient grassland. That's right. It's um, th- This sort of thing wouldn't have been like um, ploughed or grazed. Uh, it had escaped all of that. It's um, These were the um, mechanisms by which we lost most of our grasslands in Victoria, first through the grass rush, if you want to call it that, when um, within but 10 did, years of uh, John Batman it, arrived. Sheep. Uh, sheep, yes, indeed. Within <laughs> 10 minutes, yes, yeah, lots and lots and lots of sheep. Um, and, uh, and after sheep came agriculture and ploughing and the application of superphosphate, which uh, native species don't particularly like and which um, exotic species do. So... Uh, you lose a lot of. Um, we probably lost as much to superphosphate as we did to the sheep. Yeah, and agricultural um, department recommended. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And now we've got the all the weeds like serrated tussock, which I heard you um, 
advertising this Road to Tussock working party um, just before. You know, they um, those weeds really have like a terrible grip. And that's one of the things about these conservation areas is that, and the Western Grassland Reserves, which is all part of the same state and federal deal, is they were going to, the government says they're going to acquire this land, but then they don't. The landholders know their land's going to be acquired at some point down the line, and so they stop looking after it. Like, why why, why are they going to spend $60,000 a year on maintenance and so on when the government's just going to buy your land at whatever the price was anyway? So weeds just explode across, uh, have exploded across these to-be-protected grasslands. Yeah. And uh, so we're losing massive amounts of it to just, like, government inaction. Yeah. The fact that then they haven't gone and purchased these things yet. Yeah, so uh, t- uh, the 2010 initiative, the Melbourne Strategic Assessment, basically, I love the uh, what you say, it's not a set-and-forget project. That's right. So they, they, they declared all of these land was supposed to be purchased and acquired by 2020, so in 10 years, and then uh, two years ago, the Victorian Auditor General did a report on the whole program and found, like, only 10% had been purchased. So it's just uh, complete failure, really. Um, and so all of those other 90% of grasslands, well, it's down to 83% now, but those other grasslands are just in terrible decline because they're not being managed properly. Right. It's, um, so so, they, so the, you, uh, conservation groups and community groups, are calling for a media... T- you, you actually have a plan. You, you, you have uh, four things that you're asking for. Yes, that's right. So um, especially um, spurred by the loss of this um, conservation area 9, as, it, as it's called, this 40 hectares of grassland, we want the federal government, who's been pretty much absent for the last nine years... Yeah, we, surprise, we want surprise. That, that you, yeah, that's right. So the new the new uh, Labor government, we want them to do a proper audit of the Melbourne Strategic Assessment to actually see just how bad the damage is, as it were. Mm. Uh, we we want uh, we we want to see if we, any of this um, destroyed grassland can actually be restored. We want a purchase of an equivalent. Um, area of grassland. There are quite a few large, high-quality grasslands in private hands still that should be purchased by the state government, and this is a great opportunity to to do that. And, yeah, that's right. So there, and there finally, are, are, you want yeah. the 35 cons, uh, conservation areas legally protected and properly managed. Yes. yes, indeed, because a number of them still have no legal protections over them, apart from the fact that they've got native veg on and you're just generally not allowed to clear native veg. They've got no environmental significance overlay. They're still zoned urban growth zone, as if, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit farcical. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great that uh, the Grassy Plains Network and the volunteers are actually uh, keeping an eye on this uh, for us, uh, the public, uh, but uh, is there something that you think the sleeping public should be doing? Uh, they, they should rise up. Yes, indeed. But um, 
They are, we've got a... Um, if you go to the Victorian National Parks Association website, you'll be able to find a letter to the minister to, to send. That would be a great first thing to do. Or you can get to that letter through um, the Grassy Plains Network um, website, grassyplains.net.au as well, um, or through our Facebook page, Grassy Plains Network. Um, they're the, that'd be the main, the main first action, but generally just get out there and do, do best and support the environment however you feel fit indeed. Thanks for talking to us today, Adrian. Oh, thank you, Annie, very much. Yeah. Go well. Yeah. And uh, that's the end of the program uh, today. Uh, we uh, went to uh, the readings dispute. We talked to John Shepton about what's going on for Adri- uh, Julian Assange, his son. Uh, we went to back-to-back theatre about their first feature, Shadow. Uh, fantastic film and a fantastic company. And this is the week that was. Uh, Kevin went through the week with satire and Susan... Uh, Sue McKinnon from Friends of King Lake talked to us about the court action uh, uh, trying to restrain Vic Forrest from destroying our our, uh, natural wonders, basically, uh, the the sugar gliders. Uh, And uh, we talked about the, the need to protect our grasslands. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents, and uh, we'll go out with a interesting number from the Stiletto Sisters, Furnessi. Laisse-moi dormir, laisse-moi croire que mi boca te besó. Dame el frenesí de mi locura te dio. ¿Quién si no fui yo? Quiero que vivas solo para mí Y que tú vayas por donde yo voy Para que mi alma sea no más que ti Bésame con frenesí Dame la luz que tiene tu mirada Y la ansiedad que entre tus labios vi Esa locura de vivir y amar es más de amor frenesí hay en el beso que te di alma, piedad, corazón dime que sabes tu sentir lo mismo que siento yo quiero que vivas solo para mí y que tú vayas por donde yo voy para que mi alma No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail laws now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First thing... 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.